This week on Wealth Track, top-rated economist Nancy Lazar identifies the powerful forces driving economic growth. Technology, which for us is one of the single most important drivers of growth, uh, it improves profitability when companies uh, make themselves more productive, and therefore it actually creates jobs. Why she thinks they look sustainable is on this week's Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, Miller Value Funds, Royce & Associates, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. How surprised have you been by the market's supercharged recovery from the March lows and the economy's rebound from the COVID trough? Well, by any measure, the snapback has been extraordinary. The shortest bear market in U.S. history, a mere 33 weeks from late February to late March, and a much faster recovery than expected. According to a recent Federal Reserve forecast, the unemployment rate, which peaked at 14.7% in April, will fall to 7.6% in the fourth quarter of this year, 5.5% by the end of 2021, 4.6% by 2022, and 4% by the end of 2023. As this week's guest, Nancy Lazar, told clients recently, quote, in the last expansion, it took almost nine years for unemployment to fall to 4%. Today, the Fed expects more likely wishes to see 4% just four years into this expansion. And since this cycle's drivers are leveraged to the Fed's main policy tool, interest rates, the Fed's in a good position to make it happen. Nancy Lazar is partner and chief economist at Cornerstone Macro, a leading independent macro research and policy firm she co-founded in 2013. Lazar has been an institutional investor-ranked economist for the past 17 years and has been ranked among the top two for the last nine years. I asked Lazar what is driving the remarkable recovery we have seen so far in the economy and markets. Policymakers reacted very quickly as the economy was shutting down. They had the toolkit. During the 2008-2009 crisis, it was a new event, and it took time for policymakers to put in place the appropriate type of stimulus to help the economy. Well, in contrast today, boy, very quickly, the Federal Reserve eased uh, massively, Next thing, we get massive fiscal stimulus, and it became very effective. It helped to heal the credit markets very quickly. You had a sharp drop in corporate bond deals, a sharp drop in mortgage rates, and then the next thing you know, the stock market uh, obviously also rallied, uh, rallied significantly. But there has to be something to drive and fuel, which we're lucky to have. That stimulus fueled big drivers of growth, which include things like technology, manufacturing, housing, capital spending. And so it's not as if we're tied to the travel and leisure industry. To be sure, what's going on in that space right now is gut-wrenching. My heart goes out to all those people who don't have jobs. Uh, But at the end of the day, the good news is that fuel supported uh, strength in housing very, very quickly. And even businesses began to invest once the economy started to open up. And then consumers began to spend because they had a lower interest rate environment and fiscal policy helped to support the job market. So policy was very effective. And we had really important uh, growth drivers. 
you've written to clients recently and said that, you know, four out of the five major drivers of growth uh, in the economy are very interest rate sensitive. You just mentioned them. So can we just take them one by one? Because I, I, I never thought of, you know, technology as being particularly interest rate sen- sensitive. Explain how that works. So this is capital spending, which includes companies using or buying technology from equipment to software. Capital spending is very tied to the mm-hmm. cost of, 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 of borrowing or very tied to liquidity uh, available in the economy. And so with that sharp drop in corporate bond yields we had in late March, uh, and then the reopening, you had to reopen the economy, that gave uh, businesses the ability to invest, uh, to, to make their systems more productive and invest in capital spending, both old economy and in particular new economy. And to be sure, this crisis uh, has, has caused all of us to embrace technology more than we, we, other, uh, than we otherwise would. You had businesses have to retool to adjust to this new environment. You had Tyson Foods, for example, uh, all of a sudden needing to buy robotics to help process uh, to process meats. You had banks having to invest in their business to have more easy access to online banking. And so, so technology, which for us is one of the single most important drivers of growth, uh, it improves profitability when companies uh, make themselves more productive and therefore it actually creates jobs. And that's actually hardware, software, the cloud, that those kind of things, right? When you're talking about technology. Exactly. Yeah. Soft software is now a bigger part of business investment than hardware. There's really been a revolution within the technology space where you need less hardware and you can utilize more software. And that may actually makes it easier for businesses to utilize technology to make their uh, uh, companies more productive and therefore more, more, more pro- profitable. You're really seeing technology move into more and more parts of the economy, not just manufacturing, but obviously also the service, uh, the service sector. One of the themes that I remember hearing over the last several years, this is you know pre-pandemic, was that capital spending really wasn't that robust. And you you know you remember when all of the companies could repatriate their profits from overseas back here, and the criticism was that no, all they were doing is buying you know back shares, and that they were increasing their dividend payouts. But in fact, you're saying that capital spending has been kind of underappreciated and underreported for a long time, right? Oh, absolutely. There was a very important inflection point globally. China's investment started to come down. Our investment started to stop leaving. Mm -hmm. And our capital spending started to actually shift up around 2010, uh, 2012. Capital spending Uh, here in the U.S. Exactly. Capital spending in China started to shift down and capital spending in the United States started to started to shift up. And so the last expansion, capital spending grew 4%, whereas GDP growth was two, about 2.5%. So CapEx grew twice as fast uh, as GDP growth. Uh, most people, you're right, didn't pay attention to that. The, the stock market community was, was very, very focused on, as you mentioned, stock buybacks. Right. They did both. And there's not a full appreciation of what actual capital spending is. It's changed over the decades. Uh, it is indeed now 50% new economy CapEx, um, which sounds boring, but it's really, really crucial to a health of an economy. The only way a company, and this makes more sense than GDP maybe, the only way a company can improve their profitability, improve their our competitiveness is is investing in their business, continually reinvesting in their business. McDonald's, quite frankly, foundation from the 50s 
was to be more and more productive. Certainly Amazon, you see that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't keep up with them, you're left behind. And Walmart has successfully done that by investing uh, in its business, having a stronger online uh, capability, et cetera. So capital spending, to be sure, is driven by manufacturing, but it is also a key part of the service sector from retail to, uh, to, to, to finance. This economy um, is changing rapidly. And as you just said, the pandemic really uh, accelerated the, uh, the change and the transfer to the digital economy. And, and one of the things that you had told me that I didn't really know about is that the digital economy now contributes about 9% of GDP and what, 30% of GDP growth? So it's growing yeah. by leaps and bounds, right? And it, it has a huge impact on, on the health of our economy. Exactly, it's increased as a share of GDP over the past decade from about 7% to 9%. Um, and because it grows so quickly, it grows on average about 7% over the past decade. Um, it is, it's continually having a bigger and bigger positive effect on overall economic, overall economic activity. The government actually publishes this data. It doesn't get much attention. It's only annual. But uh, for us, it, it's again, it's an undiscovered gem um, as far as how we've been able to bounce back so quickly. We are the technological leader of the world by far. Um, and so we, that was helping the economy, the last expansion, improving profitability, improving uh, personal income growth and lowering the poverty rate. You, these are facts. This is not uh, this is not theory. Right. Uh, and, and data the government's publishing is now showing it. And so that also is one of the reasons we were able to bounce back so quickly. We were healthy going into the crisis. What do you think the prospects are of, you know, of getting back? to that health that we saw in 2019, because a lot of people are saying, you know, there's no way that it's gonna take us years to get anywhere close to that. Again, I understand there are many still out of, out, of, out of work, but with this breadth of job growth amongst many different industries, it increases the odds. The healing that we've seen will indeed, uh, will indeed uh, continue, so absolutely. And as a result of, of the COVID crisis, uh, the supply chain has become even more of a of, of a forefront of an issue. Um, why, why is so much of our pharmaceuticals made outside of the United States? Right. That's a national security issue. Same with technology. And so actually the COVID crisis uh, has just further uh, energized and maybe even pulled forward uh, cap spending that would have taken a little bit longer to, 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 to have happened. And I, and I really I really ask if, if, if listeners are, uh, just take a second and think about this idea, in order to grow your profitability, in order to hire, you must um, uh, and reinvest in your business, stay competitive, uh, that then allows you to grow and to hire more people. And if you take that on a national scale, you can understand a little bit how there really was a lot of healing uh, before the before the crisis, and let's hope we can get back to those uh, lower unemployment rate numbers sooner right. rather than later. So, so let's talk about uh, the people that you were mentioning that have been so severely hurt by this. How's that going to fit into this, you know, rosier picture that that you're painting? So when you look at the economy, it's important to understand uh, the breadth of diversity. It's ter it's ter it's tremendous, mm -hmm. and so the drivers of growth are about thirty percent of total employment. 
Um, I apologize for, we, we call them the dinosaurs, maybe not a very attractive name, but a lot of those are industries where they haven't reinvested in their business. Certainly the restaurant industry potentially may be oversupplied um, and you need some consolidation uh, in, in, in that space. And the travel and leisure industry has never had a severe recession for mm -hmm. the 60 years of which I can I can have I have I have data so devastating blow but they're significantly smaller than the drivers they're only about 13% of total employment versus the drivers are 30% so almost double uh, the drivers of growth so so that, that's point number 1 point number 2 in every in every recovery there are always sectors of the economy that don't fully recover Right. Um, and we saw that with housing, the last expansion. We saw that with manufacturing, 2002 through 2009. And the key thing to do is not to get sucked into the demise, which is certainly very sad, but to ask, are there drivers of growth that can help to heal the economy and create more jobs uh, over, the next, over the next several years? And you mentioned housing. I mean, housing is one of, again, one of the key sectors that is interest rate sensitive. It's one of the drivers. Explain to us what's going on in housing and how important that is to the economy and to employment. As we were coming into 2020, we were very optimistic because interest rates were going down um, uh, even, even prior to, to, to COVID. And there's a ton of pent up demand. The millennials, a lot of millennials have been living with their parents to be sure, probably even more so this year. And so you have several factors right now propelling housing. First, as you just said, mortgage rates are at a record low. Second, the consumer going into the crisis really wasn't levered to housing, unlike uh, obviously the great, uh, the great recession. So consumers had great balance sheets. Um, and then you have this pent up demand with, with the millennials. And now you have this other reason uh, related to COVID in that single family housing uh, units, which actually weren't so popular uh, the last expansion are obviously now booming. So you have multiple factors driving housing. And housing is important because there are tremendous other employment multipliers along with it, as there is with manufacturing. And so even though the drivers of growth are only about 30% of, of GDP, their importance to the economy is much bigger than that because they create other jobs. Housing creates other jobs. You, you build a suburb, you need services to support that suburb. You have a factory, you need services uh, to support that factory. So again, capital spending doesn't just improve productivity and profitability of companies, um, it actually creates other jobs and other sectors uh, of the economy. And so that's how you can pull ourselves back up to uh, stronger employment growth and also uh, a lower un un unemployment rate. Nancy, one of the, uh, the themes that has resonated the most with our viewers uh, the last time you were on was you described uh, manufacturing as your, uh, and the Rust Belt as your you know, favorite emerging market. So yeah. t tell us about this n new favorite emerging market of yours and how that is uh, pulling through uh, this pandemic. So there really hasn't been investment in this country for 30 years. So much of it first went over to Japan, then the smaller uh, Pacific Rim countries, and then eventually, obviously, to China. And so when you stop investing, uh, those cities deteriorate uh, significantly. Those states deteriorate significantly. And so now that investment is coming back. The middle part of this country is where still the bulk of the goods producing jobs are. And so as we see uh, the renaissance or the onshoring theme unfold, we're actually seeing these companies go to the middle part of the country. So you've already started to clearly see it, particularly in a South Carolina 
um, uh, uh, Tennessee, uh, Alabama. Um, and our point is we're at the tip of the iceberg because the supply chain is still way too geared to Asia. Uh, and this is a multi-year, potentially not boom, but a multi-year support for growth. Actually, I don't like booms. I like gradual growth because then you get, don't get the bust. These are decisions that are not taken lightly by companies. It's very expensive and they tend to be lasting because once you, know, you build a plant or whatever you're doing and relocate employees and hire people and everything else, um, then it, th- this is what, I don't know how long the cycle lasts, 10, 20 years? Classically, investment cycles last 30 years. Uh-huh, okay. um, and and that's, it, it's, uh, China's was shorter, about 20. Uh, that's because they, they indeed grew so, so quickly, and I would argue too quickly, and, and now they, they know that and they're paying for it. So 30 years is, is, is kind of a, a normal uh, investment, a normal investment cycle. Um, so maybe we're in the 10th year. I, I Somehow I don't think so because it was so gradual. This year alone, uh, we've counted 176 companies through the end of September that have either announced they're moving to and or are considering moving back to the United States. And, and it, it, it's quite logical. We are the biggest economy in the world, number one. Number two, there have been clear supply chain disruptions. Um, and so, uh, and uh, the old, uh, uh, offshoring theme is long in the tooth. Uh, it's, 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 it started in Japan, then went to the Pacific Rim, then it went to China. It's about 30 years. And so it's, it's, it, it's, it's uh, logical to come back to the United States. Uh, and if, if you sell it here, you make it here. You, we discussed the drivers, the, some of the main drivers of the economic recovery and economic growth here. Uh, but we haven't talked really about the consumer. And of course, everybody says, you know, look, this is a consumer-driven economy. It's 70% of GDP, and you describe the consumer's uh, situation as being wavy. So what do you mean by wavy, and what's your outlook for the consumer and consumer spending? So we did have a V rebound in consumer spending back in May, June, even in, in, into July, um, as the economy opened up, and indeed jobs, jobs came back. But now uh, consumers are uh, starting to be a little bit more cautious in, the, in, in, their, in their spending, which... I think is actually responsible. We call it the new smarter consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, the consumer uh, has had now two shocks in in a decade: uh, the Great Recession and then the COVID crisis. And in both cases, they realized, particularly back in the Great Recession, they just didn't have enough saving. Um, right. As you entered the, the Great Recession with a saving rate of around three percent, uh, the last expansion it actually averaged seven. Um, and so the consumer is going to be more conservative. They they got hit hard uh, two times. Um, and so we think the consumer is going to continue to be more willing to save rather than spend and borrow uh, as aggressively as they did going into the last uh, last uh, crisis in 2010. But that's not a bearish story on the U.S. consumer. I, I would argue that when you take your saving rate down so low, you're creating a lot of economic instability. And so in this in this recession, uh, the saving rate actually surged. Um, to over uh, to almost six uh, trillion dollars, six and a half trillion dollars of savings. The, a lot of the stimulus that the government uh, gave to the consumers, be it the stimulus checks, the unemployment benefits, the PPP program, they didn't spend it initially. They saved it. What you've seen over the past several months is that saving has actually come down as a reflection of consumer confidence increasing and the job market coming back. And so that helped to create this V rebound. 
But now that retail sales, for example, are back above their pre-COVID level, you are seeing consumer spending start to slow. Now in August, consumer spending retail sales were about 0.6% uh, and consumer spending was about 1%. Those are still strong numbers. They're just not as strong as they were. But going forward, they're gonna continue to, uh, they're gonna continue to slow because of this new smarter consumer, more cautious conservative consumer. And that's not bad for the economy. Again, we have uh, 3% consumer spending in 2021. In the fourth quarter, consumer spending will be four or 5%. Those are still strong numbers. It's just not obviously the 30, 40% numbers we're going to see in the third, uh, third, 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 third quarter. And importantly, uh, if you, again, there's, there's a misperception, as you said, consumer is 70% of GDP, right. and therefore they, they have to be the driver of growth. Um, it's, it's actually investment is the driver of growth because if it's businesses willing to invest, uh, that you create jobs. If businesses don't want to invest, uh, then at the end of the day, you're not going to create any jobs. I gave you Sears versus an Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, obviously. So no, we think the consumer is going to be fine. The saving rate is going to be a little bit more elevated. But yeah, you have new secular drivers of growth, capital spending and housing, with the consumer more growing more in line with, uh, with, with, with GDP. That's, that's not unprecedented. It happened for 30 years after World War II, where investment drove, uh, housing drove uh, economic activity. Again, you had underinvested for decade, for, for several decades. Um, and then uh, from the 50s, we reinvested in this country uh, and the consumer as a share of GDP actually did go down. So this is not unprecedented. It's just that nobody watching this uh, has ever really seen anything other than the consumer drive growth. Right. You know, the, the press is paying a lot of attention to layoffs and there have been, a you know, I don't yeah. know, how many, a thousand layoff announcements uh, in the last year. Be, you know, again, post-pandemic, it's the knockoff effects um, of the pandemic. And, and a, you know, a lot of people are saying, look, you know, the, we need more fiscal stimulus. We need a big package. Um, and you're saying that, no, in, in fact, that there's been a, a handoff from the public sector, which did support the economy, which they shut down, more to the private sector. So, so number one, how critical is the uh, it is is more a big fiscal stimulus package and you know enhanced unemployment benefits to the recovery uh, and and what's the outlook if uh, you know without it I we do not need a massive fiscal stimulus package for the reasons I've highlighted the private sector is now driving uh, driving the economy could the could we have some incremental additional unemployment benefits for those that are really really stuck in some of these uh, unfortunate industries that that, that they can't uh, rehire people? Yes, but trillion dollar multi multi-trillion dollar packages we don't need it. Uh, incremental yes uh, for some additional unemployment benefits, but the economy we would argue um, is is indeed seeing an impressive handoff from the uh, public to the private sector. For because of these drivers, uh, drivers of growth. Nancy, what could derail uh, the recovery picture that you're describing? If you were to have another major resurgence in COVID that was corresponded with, this is not certainly very pleasant to talk about, uh, with a surge in deaths. I mean, we are seeing a pickup in COVID cases, but we are not seeing a corresponding surge surge in in, in deaths. But that would that would certainly be one one issue. What kind of tensions are there going to be longer term, even shorter term, between the United States uh, and, and China? I would argue it doesn't pay either country to start those tensions, as we are all rec uh, recovering. But uh, those, those two, 
to be sure, could also be risks. Will the Federal Reserve raise interest rates sooner like, uh, than later? Will we have a taper tantrum a la 2013 or, or Powell 2018? And, and uh, we, we don't think so, but, but, but those, uh, to be sure, are, are risks. How about inflation spiking? We have a, quite a, uh, I don't want to call it long, but rationale for saying, no, inflation is not going to uh, pick up any, anytime soon. So there are always risks in a, in a re recovery. I do think at some point uh, uh, the rating agencies could decide to downgrade the United States mm -hmm. because we have so much debt. They did that back in 2011. I know, again, I don't think they're going to do that anytime soon. Uh, they don't want to be, you know, the reason for the economy maybe taking another step back. Um, but at some point, they probably will, 2023 uh, or 22, when the economy is a little bit more uh, uh, stable. There are, it is definitely a wall of worry environment right now. Quite frankly, that's fine. It's when we stop worrying about things that we tend to get hit over the head, uh, which is certainly what happened back in February. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. I'm, I know you're an economist. You're not an investment strategist, but what would you have all of us own some of? Well, I'd look closely at the home builders. Um, they've had a nice rally so far. And I'd look at closely at home builders that are in the middle part of this country. And quite frankly, there aren't many uh, of the big uh, builders that are. But it would, would also be capital good companies in the middle part of this country, uh, not the big multinationals that benefited under the China era, but uh, maybe the small localized uh, capital good com com companies. Um, and actually, they've also been rallying nicely, uh, but we, we think we're in the very early innings of this uh, whole, whole uh, middle America is our favorite emerging market theme. Nancy Lazar, Cornerstone Macro, thank you so much for joining us on WealthTrack. Thank you very much. So nice to see you. I look forward to seeing you in person. At the close of every Wealth Talk, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is don't underestimate the resilience of the U.S. economy. As Lazar just discussed, the U.S. economy is diverse, dynamic, and innovative. We have been through numerous economic cycles since our founding, and the ability of individual Americans and their businesses to adapt, create, and grow remains one of the wonders of the world. Investing in the U.S. stock market has proven to be a winning long-term strategy. Well, next week, why Causeway International Value Fund Sarah Ketterer says certain parts of the market are a value investor's dream. She'll tell us which ones. In this week's extra feature, Nancy Lazar will share the changes she is making in her life because of the pandemic. For those of you active on social media, please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.